Welcome to the Queer Comics Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Nina, a lifelong comics nerd and program coordinator at the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. And I'm Jessica. I have a master's degree in fandom and a PhD in feels. Today we're talking about queer subtext in comics. Uh, we're going to go over some terms, some history, how that's kind of created some iconography, and then we're going to play a little game to wrap it all up. You excited about this? No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> about games. Yes. Well, well, these kind of games. I'm- yeah. <laughs> um, and all right. So we'll get started with those terms and I'm going to kind of put them out there. And Jessica, if you could kind of give your, your quickest definition of some of these terms so that listeners have them for, for context as they're uh, hearing along. Um, so first uh, let's actually start with the the one that's in the title for this show. Let's talk about subtext. What the heck is subtext? It's where queer dreams go to die. <laughs> and 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 how does that process work? Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, sometimes subtext can just its presence can help a little. Like in my in my research for this particular episode. I actually, I viewed subtext, queer subtext in particular for so long as a negative thing, especially when it's not backed up with like an actual storyline or, you know, anything canon to go along with it, anything main text to follow. But I have found that sometimes just its mere presence can help just by being there. And I, I can go into that more when we delve into other stuff. But what is it? It's basically just when uh, there's a queer um, energy between a uh, pair of characters in a story. Um, I'm more familiar with it as it pertains to, like, TV shows and movies. That's basically just when characters have, like, an undeniable chemistry, but it's just not being acknowledged in the main plot directly. But it's clearly there. It's visible to everyone, and it could maybe be a part of a building plot line. But more often than not, it's just there because the actors are playing into it knowingly or unknowingly. In my experience, there are a lot of times when there's just a person who exudes subtext, no matter what situation they're in. And uh, I call that, I think I jokingly refer to it in my notes as subtextual presence, (laughs) 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 which I googled after I, I don't know if people call it that, I don't know if that's the proper phrasing, but that's how I view it. It's like this thing that no one, no actor can control really. Um, and do yeah. you think that it always has to be a pair of characters or is subtext something that can exist with only a, a single character by themselves in a story? That's an interesting question. I think it can. I think a character just in their actions and how they carry themselves can definitely be all the subtext the story needs without acknowledging that there is any queer subtext. Yeah, I think that's possible. So... Subtext is basically kind of leads into another term that I wanted to bring up, which was innuendo. So this, it's kind of the same thing, like subtext is the use of innuendo almost, or not almost, it is, mm-hmm. but just the, the hinting of something instead of saying it uh, out in the forefront. And then as we were talking and bringing up this show and the subject matter, I had initially written it down as queer 
coding because that is just kind of the term that sits in my head. And I think it's relevant to use that in that it's it's also kind of this using of community language to kind of speak between the lines. Mm-hmm. And um, and I kind of see that as something that's more deliberate co- when you say it as coding, because like you said, like it's there are certain instances where certain ways that comic panels are drawn or colored or um, uh, written even where like they say a thing and then just by reading like the way that the panel was you know drawn or put together you understand what's going on but they didn't explicitly say it you know so i think yeah. that that's that's a good example of coding is just like how it coding i feel like the term is it's when it's more deliberate that seems yeah. fair to me yeah i th- yeah. i think that subtext it's interesting because a lot of stuff can be seen as subtext in part because the the way that the culture changes over time and yeah. how different groups take on different cultural symbolism or icons throughout time that then shift hands. And so looking back, um, like a lot of superhero stuff looks super queer mm-hmm. because <laughs> they're they're it's a different time in a different it's like, context. It's like all the spandex, sure. all of it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talked about some of the subtleties there. And then with subtext, you know, you mentioned there's some positive aspects to it. There's some negative aspects to it. So, you know, we like to stay on the positive and at the same time acknowledge uh, when it's not so good. So, I wanted to bring up the term queer baiting, which mm-hmm. I know, <laughs> yeah, um, that's something you were telling me about earlier. And um, do you want to talk a little bit about what queer nope. baiting is to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> God. Uh, uh, oh my God, queer baiting is my Voldemort. Like mm. Jesus. And it's and so you mentioned horrible. that <laughs> <laughs> for you, it seemed like. You know, most of the time you feel like you're being queer baited. Most of the time. I mean, I think honestly, like I'm happy that I'm, you know, in my 30s and there's actually finally stuff on TV that isn't queer baiting and that is very overtly queer. But, you know, the fact that it went on so long and like what we have is good, but it can always be better. And there's still that doesn't mean that just because there are good examples of non queer baiting in shows doesn't mean that queer baiting doesn't still exist. Yeah. And, you know, we're here to push for improvement. And, uh, you know, I also think you mentioned that for you, it's just like, it, it happens in everything you watch and everything you consume. Most, you see mostly. a queerness everywhere. Oh, I, I mean, oh my God. I, I mean, <laughs> two women get like two, two. I mean, it also doesn't help that when like, um, not even just women, but when men or women are at odds with each other and it's like two women or two men, the close talking on television or just even like they also do it in comics too. Like when, you know, people are like at odds with each other, they always draw them really close together. And I'm like, you can't just, you can't Is that, just that subtextual that. tension. A little bit. A little bit. I don't want to spoil Legends of Tomorrow too much. Just like a lot of times when characters are at odds with each other 
on that show, they'll there's a lot of close talking, and there are two characters like um, it's hard to explain because like one of the characters like a shapeshifter who turned into a character that's technically not on the show at the moment, but it's the same actress just playing a shapeshifter in that person's body. So it's like um, it's Zari and um, this shapeshifter Charlie are basically at odds with each other, but Charlie's like in the body of a character that Amaya, who's like not her character's like gone off on like a different place and like they're at odds with each other. So ev- they have an argument every episode almost. And they're always talking super close to each other. And it's just killing me. It's like, <laughs> I just, but it's not queer baiting to me because that show itself has so many good queer characters. I think stuff like that does happen on shows where it feels more like queer baiting, but and the close talking. Yeah, <laughs> and, and queer baiting changes. You know, we're we're applying mm-hmm. it to the entire community. So, as as some parts of the community become more widely accepted by the society that is creating the media that we're consuming, you know, we we start to see less queer baiting of certain queer representations, like basic, uh, like the basic lgb um and but the you know the t in lgbt and Mm. a i you know Mm. all the the other letters in our queer alphabet are Mm. now kind of working through these ideas of subtext and queer baiting and what that means to them about the media that they're consuming so yeah yeah well, queer baiting, uh, gosh, it's hard for me to think of instances of queer baiting in like uh, superhero movies because they have barely even touched on queerness at all. So, well, uh, well, let's let's step back <laughs> yeah. for for a minute. So, so we've yeah. we've given you the, you know, the mm-hmm. listener the context to kind of mm-hmm. take in the show those those basic um, pieces we think you should know, and mm-hmm. so to expand on that i want to step back in time and Hmm. go through a little bit of the history uh that that kind of caused a prolonged experience with subtext we're gonna step into our time machine or our uh delorean or what have you i know (laughs) please keep that sound effect in um (laughs) we're going to we're going to head back to um like the 1950s I believe I hope I'm getting that right. I think uh-huh. yeah, it was around the whenever uh, are we going to talk about the old Batman? Yeah, the, yeah. So we're, yeah. we're we're talking okay. about a time in the country when we were in the Cold War against the Soviets and there was this huge fear of um communism and you know, communism being symbolized in many cases by the color red. And so there was the red scare and fear mongering. And there were all these trials going on with people in media and entertainment and um, accusing them of being communist because they had more liberal viewpoints about things. And with comics, we had this... uh, I, I I was gonna be sarcastic and and call them this this wonderful gentleman, uh, Frederick Wortham, uh, Doctor, quote unquote yeah. Frederick Wortham. Yeah, I've seen his name thrown around a lot. Yeah, and so he wrote a book that was called Seduction of the Innocent, 
Oh, son of um, a bitch. And Sorry. So, <laughs> I haven't read it. <laughs> um, you know, you can kind of tell what it's about. Without Something even tells me. Uh, reading the title. I love with, how reading, these people the who go on these crusades create things that in themselves sound like the creepiest shit. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. <laughs> that title alone. <laughs> and so oh, the the mainstay of that book was about research that showed a correlation between juvenile delinquents who liked to read comic books Mm -hmm. um, and that the two happened to occur a lot at the same time. So this, uh, instead of saying that juvenile delinquents like comics, the argument that he went for was if you like to read comics then you are more likely or you just will become a juvenile delinquent as a child. Mm. It basically put the entire comics publishing industry on trial for the kind of content that they were publishing. And so, you know, this, they they put on uh, the lead of Mad Magazine, who at that time was also doing stuff with EC Comics. And with EC Comics, it was a lot of the horror comics, you know, Tales from the Crypt and that kind of stuff. And all these horror stories that they were writing about and putting out there. And at the time, there was no guide like in movies where you have, you know, GPG uh, there actually was a whole another set of these laws that were affecting film and cinema and created genres like noir, where, um, you know, no matter how little a bad deed you did, you could never get away with it. And so that kind of rule set, that self-imposed rule set, like the film industry t- did, is what the comics industry decided to do to save themselves from persecution that they were receiving from these actual trials that were going on where they were basically saying like this comic like a famous ec comic has cover with a baseball team where there's like a severed head that in the comic they use as a baseball i believe Mm -hmm. i really hope i'm remembering this correctly um it's hard because it's like once you hear a story over and over again it kind of takes a life of its own. I mean, own, yeah. I, and- it's in, like, every comics documentary, pretty much. Okay. Um, and so they'd be like, do you, do you think that this cover with a severed head is appropriate for children? And, you know, aren't all comics for children? And, you know, that, that was the pressure that they were put under. And it didn't matter that they were saying, well, you know, maybe that tri- that isn't appropriate for a child. They'll, they'll be like, well, then how did this child, you know, access this comic? Like, how could you let that happen? And, you know, we didn't have the same sort of overprotective parenting, you know, the helicopter parent that watches everything their kid does um, that is encouraged today. And maybe that's an effect of, of this sort of era and you know what are your kids reading what is how is it affecting them i know um, now they're reading everything i know <laughs> it's like now I, now they get mad because they have to read everything man before. helicopter parents i <laughs> they oh my god go it is think. it is good to read the content that your kids are consuming oh, yeah. but it's also important to ask them like not just what 
you take out of it, but what are they getting out of it? Because exactly. they may be getting something completely different than what you as a parent are. Yeah. Um, so with those trials that were part of the Red Scare, and I mentioned the comics industry decided to do a lot what the, the film industry was also doing, which was to self-censor. So they created a thing called the Comics Code Authority, Mm-hmm. which you'll often see made fun of. If you've gone to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, then and in that film, there's a part where they have a big stamp of approved by the Comics Code Authority, and everybody in the theater erupts in laughter, at least when you go to see it the first couple of nights, because we're all the nerds getting out there to see it right away. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to see it yet, but... Uh, um... That's awesome. I'm so like, I'm glad there's a little yeah. inside joke. The so the comics community like totally riffs on it now. There were I believe there were still some comics that had the stamp on them in the early 2000s or the late 90s. Um, one of the major stories to kind of push out of the Comics Code Authority was a Spider-Man story. I believe in the late 80s or 90s. I really need to start putting dates out on all my notes so that I'm not just guessing It does help. anymore. So it, it kind of just like threw away all the rules that they had made. But basically some of those rules included things like during the trial, one of the other relationships wait, wait, can that I they challenged. Can I stop you for a second? Sure. Which trial uh, are you referring to? Is there like a name like so-and-so versus so-and-so? Or is it like... the The trial that I'm referring to took place in 1954, and it was the Senate Judiciary Committee's subcommittee to investigate juvenile delinquency. Mm -hmm. It was nicknamed basically a kangaroo court Mm -hmm. uh, because it it was making a giant fuss out of nothing, but then they saw it as this kind of attack on the comics industry. So the head of EC Comics that I was referring to, his name is Bill Gaines, and I believe he went over to Mad Magazine, and magazines had better protections for freedom of speech then, which is why Mad Magazine was able to thrive and survive through all of this, is because magazines separate from comics have, before the McCarthy era, had better protections over freedom of speech. Hmm. And so that's why we're like, we're producing comics in with like magazine articles and so it's a magazine so you can't tell us what the fuck to print um oh oh my yeah so the the star witness was frederick wortham um who went through asking you know and they went in general in the trial they were asking about the horror comics uh with ec comics they talked about wonder woman and her being chained in bondage and Mm -hmm. all of the sort of sexual tension and like uh, sadomasochism kind of stuff and imagery that children were seeing in Wonder Woman. And that whole thing was brought up in that trial. And they also talked about Batman's relationship with Robin Mm -hmm. and homosexuality and that being represented to children as a dangerous thing as well. And so all of those things were things that were addressed in that trial. I, I believe that Superman was also brought up during the trial, but I'm not as familiar with the specifics of what they brought yeah. up about He didn't Superman. pop up a lot. When I was looking up stuff about this, he was not the primary one that pulled up. It was always Batman. And I, I almost wonder if that's because 
Superman didn't have a sidekick. They didn't really pick on him as much. And the lady he basically fell in love with was like a human, Lois Lane. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, whereas in Batman, you not only have this young sidekick, but you have Catwoman and Wonder Woman and then... Or Bat- no, I'm thinking of Batwoman. Sorry. Oh. Uh, I was like, no, I'm not thinking of Wonder Woman. So maybe that's why they... I mean, and also it didn't help that they had that infamous panel where they're in bed together. He's like, let's go to Batcave. And it's very... He's like... It doesn't. also doesn't help that, you know, Dick Grayson. <laughs> I mean, he says, you know, uh, you know, let's get a cold shower and breakfast. It's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, nobody <laughs> says that. Who says that to each other? Um, so, but yeah, uh, <laughs> different, like the the whole point yeah. of Robin being created was they Robin was supposed to be a character that kids could see themselves as, so mm-hmm. that it was the the idea was that it was easier for kids to relate to Robin, who was much closer in age to them, mm-hmm. than it was for them to relate to Batman. So therefore, they were they were creating this way that kids could see themselves as the hero in the story and they could fantasize about the hero that they could become. That's that's an interesting take. I didn't... I don't know. I didn't think about that way, but... Uh, no, that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it may... I well, mean, that, that was yeah. the original intent. Okay. I for mean, the that, creation of the character. Okay. Yeah. I mean, all I'm saying is it doesn't... Why take a cold shower? <laughs> I just... I'm just like, he could... So, so are you on yeah. Wortham's side, then? What? No, I'm not on Wortham's side. I'm all I'm saying is that I think there's something to this that I I just I I feel like in general who takes cold showers? <laughs> like who I mean, I'm just saying I'm not on Worth I'm not on that guy's side. I I'm just like I don't think it's damaging. I just think it's kind of funny that, you know, you have that kind of stuff in the comic. But I also I was reading um and the article I read on this was on the comic Comics Alliance website by L. Collins, and mm-hmm. it was basically just a breakdown of queer subtext, and it talks about this particularly, but it's interesting because they talk about how, like, you know, how it's a common, commonly seen as subtext, and that if you view it as Batman, fan, you know, fantasizing about being with Robin, yeah, that's horrible, but if you view it as Robin kind of you know, being attracted to Batman or looking up to Batman, it's not so bad because it's like, it's when you're younger, you like idolize older people or, mm-hmm. you know. So I thought that was interesting because I'd never. It's more. Heard it's it more like a way. role model dichotomy than it is. A, yeah. Like pedophilia dichotomy. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you're saying. I mean, um, I mean, I mean, yeah. Well, it depends on how you look at it, but it's like, but it's interesting because it's like depending on how you perceive it. Yeah, one way is like. Yeah, if Batman's in, totally into Robin, that's and he's a young boy. Yeah, obviously it's not great, but but if if you yeah. see it more as you're Dick Grayson and you there's like this awesome dude who's like taking you under his wing and like then it's a little different. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just never thought of it that way. So just reading that and kind of seeing that that's, I mean, and these are people who, you know, aren't against it. They're just people who. That's just how they broke it down. So, you know, at that time, they also saw, like, pedophilia and queerness were pretty much in the same boat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's lasted until fairly recently. And, and to some people, it still is. Yeah. 
and it's just not as common to conflate the two, but yeah, it's it still happens um, mm-hmm. to think that one is connected to the other when there there is no connection. Yeah, um, they're separate things. Yeah. So with the trial and this subcommittee and the Comics Code Authority, which was established the same year as the trial, so that the comics industry was basically trying to protect itself from being attacked. They put all these rules in about what you could and could not show that were, you know, basically rules against showing inappropriate relationships between um, kids and adults, uh, that the bad guy could never get away, that they always had to uh, face ju- you know, justice, and that uh, the characters in the books could not push back against authority figures like police or anyone who is seen as a you know keeper of a peaceful society. Um, whether or not that was actually true, that that was what they were doing. And so you couldn't have like a cop or a general or somebody who is supposed to be seeing good in our society. As, that couldn't be a bad guy. They always had to be a good guy because they were trying to set role models for children because only children read comics. But the other thing that came out of it was, again, against this kind of queerness and trying to get away from that image in terms of our topic was that that's when all these super families started to be created. That's when you have, that's the origin of Batwoman is she was created two years later in 1956 as basically like, well, well, Batman can have this love interest. That's a woman that's his own age. And then people will stop saying that he's gay. And, um, you know, he can have a normal uh, heterosexual relationship. They gave him a beard. Yeah, he got a beard. He they gave him a beard. Um, <laughs> you know, that's when yeah. you got Superwoman in the Superman comics. I don't know how soon it was after, but also in that vein, that's when you get Batgirl, so that Robin has a female love interest that is mm-hmm. of the same age as him to romanticize about. So that's also maybe bearding as well. A little, I mean, but it's like, it's interesting because it's like bearding in the sense that it's just they don't want it to read as gay anymore. But it's like, I mean, yes, Batman is a straight man, canically. Uh, and so is uh, Robin. But uh, And I, I think uh, yeah. Batwoman didn't really work out, which is, I think, when they kind of transferred over yeah, to they killed her off, Catwoman. Right? I believe so. Like yeah. early on. Yeah. yeah. But even that was a problem like that romance could have been a problem with the comics code authority because then you have Batman who then has to like start cooperating with the police instead of just being a vigilante. That's when you have Batman being in love with someone who wasn't a good guy or good gal. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. so then you have all this like damp damping down on the storytelling and comics have to be like the good American family. And so that's where you get a lot of these stereotypes about comics and things not being necessarily great storytelling and a lack of diversity and all that stuff going on. But to Mm -hmm. kind of talk about, so everybody who really is familiar with the comics code authority knows the Spider-Man story that came out to kind of push back and broke out against it. I don't, um, I don't know well, that one. Do you know as much about the comic? I'm saying people who like really know about the comic code authority. So. No, I, uh, I actually, I, after we did uh, upon doing this, I, let's just say I read some quotes relating to some other stuff we're going to talk about. 
from them and i I was kind of like i was kind of had a hold my earrings moment but like who wrote this i'm I'm gonna come at you so (laughs) yeah so if you really want to dive into all this history the best way to do it there's an organization called the uh comic book legal defense fund so that's the comic book legal defense fund i have heard of them yeah the CBLDF, mm-hmm. and they have tons of blogs about all the stuff that's happened. And so they have um, the history of the Spider-Man story that was printed that fought against the Comic Code Authority later on. So you so can, was you can that get more information a, about I that. I mean, was that our beloved Stan Lee behind that? Or... Stan, Stan was in support of this comic. I don't think that he was the person that wrote it. And oh, okay. I believe that um, our beloved creator of Spawn was involved Ooh. with that story, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I don't want to get too much into the Spider-Man story because mm-hmm. I, I want to focus on the, the queer side of all this. Obviously, um, yeah. Because that's what we're here for. Oh, so it wasn't based on a queer storyline. They were just pushing the boundaries. There, yeah, yeah. So the okay, Spider-Man story isn't a queer story. It was just pushing back against Comic Code Authority okay, um, and other uh, stuff that was written in it. And it was kind of revised a little bit, like every, like I think, like every two decades or so, or decade and a half, it, it had a re- revision that went in uh, to kind of update it, but still say like these are still good for your kids to read. Reading some of the stories makes the the stories feel really creepy um, because of the guidelines that they had to follow sometimes. Or makes them seem gayer with lots more subtext. So much subtext. So much subtext. So in the 1980s, then this might have been in one of the articles that you read as well, Mm -hmm. uh, Maggie Sawyer was created as a character and she was actually created with, you know, uh, testimony from the writer as a queer character. She was always meant to be a queer character. Yeah, I I read up on that a little bit, and um, I I did see a few of her panels where it's just it's interesting. It's like it's very clear without being clear. You know, it's like they never say the word gay, lesbian. It's like it, it's it honestly, it's very well written. Mm-hmm. And composed, like the panels are like, you know, like how they draw her, and like the fact that they can convey her like being afraid of losing her job and going through a divorce because she's unhappy and she's realizing who she is, and without ever saying it, and that's yeah. and that's what they were forced to do, right? Because of the know. Comics Code Authority, um, yeah. they couldn't come out and say it. And I think the the main person involved in that storyline was John Byrne. I'm gonna stop saying if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. No, um, it was John Byrne. I'm yeah, I'm looking at it right. Now. Yeah, it was yeah. him. And I feel like I really respect that because I feel like that happened. Well, I don't think it happened a lot in the '80s, but just like when I read about people pushing back about from like uh like that kind of stuff, what I've read it usually happened started happening in the '80s. Like um, mm-hmm. per- well, particularly the one that I'm thinking of that honestly like kind of like. Well, be, well, the the nineteen eighties yeah. also saw Kitty Pride exactly, and yeah. that's that's the one that I ended up. I wanted to like broaden my horizons, but I kept coming back to Kitty Pride, and I, for the life of me, 
can't un- don't know if it's because I found out so much stuff about her that I didn't know, or because Ellen Page player played her in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> the, I, the hints get uh, bigger and bigger. It's like it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, I but, think uh, in the in the movie, did they have her? So so there's different universes where basically. Kitty Pride is a lesbian, Colossus is gay, and then there's the universe where Kitty and Colossus are together as well, I don't basically think... each other's beard. But is she a lesbian or is she bisexual? Because that's how I read it yeah. Like when that's, I was reading it. That's the other it. thing. Like, yeah. is that there used to be this idea that as soon as somebody liked someone of the same sex, that that made them you know, gay or a lesbian, and it mm-hmm. created this sort of bi-erasure, mm-hmm. and, you know, because because of the pressure against coming out, mm-hmm. that liking someone of the opposite gender was all just, like, to try to fit in with society. Because yeah. I, I don't hate Kitty Pride with Colossus, but, like, I, I was reading... There are a lot of fun moments in their relationships, yeah. Yeah. What was the name of the last X-Men movie? that they made with Ellen Page. I'm like, uh, Days of Future Past? Am yes. I- okay. Yeah, so I, I read so. the comic book storyline that basically inspired that movie, and I thought it was very interesting seeing her and Colossus together in that. And obviously the movie, I believe she's still with Iceman, which is interesting because doesn't he... He comes out as gay in the comics at some point, right? Right, or, and that, yeah. that happened... It, that has been... Had a lot of subtext for many years, and yeah. then became canon just recently. So, yeah. you it's know... It's so... In- I'm like, they're all gay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, I, I thought it was uh, interesting because I, I was reading, like, in um, an article by uh, Sigrid uh, Ellis, which I was turned on to by Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Their podcast reposted mm-hmm. something she wrote from Chicks Dig Comics, and she was talking a lot about it and about, like, how it, like, helped her realize who she was and coming out and it was like the fact that the subtext had been written into her character uh for years and it kind of just you know clicked with her and that's where i mean that subtext can be good but Mm -hmm. it was subtext that was being written during a time when like you said with the comics code authority you couldn't have certain things in there so the people writing uh chris claremont particularly has been open about you know saying that you know that's what they were doing with her character so it's like like having them hold hands you yeah, know they, these little ways and, of fighting uh, back against and it, it's very yeah. much reflective of the experience of being a queer person at that time you mm-hmm. know if you if you look at it that way instead of just looking at it as being something frustrating it's very reflective of the the experience that i mean i i had in some aspects where you know at at school i went to a arts high school so i wasn't worried about being outwardly queer there but when when i was first dating i pretended around i told my mom before i started dating but i pretended around my dad that i was just hanging out with one of my friends and hmm. so we would like slowly inch our hands towards each other in the back seat of the car to just kind of like touch fingertips oh and 
um, by the time I finally came out to my dad, he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not an idiot. Like, <laughs> I can see. I can read the subtext. Uh, I know what's going on. And yeah, whatever. You, That's funny. you figure out yourself. Oh, my God. Um, figure it out. Um, yeah. yeah, not the same with me, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but no, I'm glad that, uh, I mean, um, that he knew, um, mm-hmm. or at least didn't interfere it in any way. Well, he, he gave me a whole stack of articles he had written out about the dangers of being gay. So oh, that was okay, never mind. <laughs> Wait, like, was that, was that after or before? Uh, that was when I had... Uh, we went out to like lunch or dinner together and that's when I decided I was going to come out to him. So he did this after you came out? And so he he kind of knew that us meeting up for a meal was uh, weird and so he had the pages printed out to give to me Holy at the shit. restaurant. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, and he, I, I thought you meant that like he saw you holding hands and then gave them to you when you got home. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, he, he kind of kept his mouth shut until I said something about it. And it, it wasn't necessarily, like, he wasn't being like, you shouldn't be gay because it's dangerous. He just, he's mm-hmm. the kind of person that's like, whatever situation you're going into, you need to know the, like, pros and cons of that situation that's, that's mm-hmm. new. Like, when I went to my first concert, he did the same thing. Like, he printed out all these articles about how to be safe at a concert. Oh, so, Jesus. Oh, my God. My dad's just about being an informed individual about, you know, things that that's could hilarious, actually. have, you know, <laughs> stuff that you don't know about. Oh, my um, God. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, well, I'm just saying I'm glad that he didn't, like, put brakes on the car and, like, toss her out. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Um, yes, me too. Because, me too. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, this this whole sort of having to hide one's queerness in the comics was actually uh, looking back at it now very reflective of the experience that queer people were going through at the time with having to you know hide themselves and only express themselves very subtly and so it created kind of this this language and narratives of like how do you how do you tell that subtext without the every person being able to figure it out and sort of like getting you in trouble for having written that storyline right yeah but it's like there are there are a few moments that are pointed out in like the articles that i've read mm-hmm. about particularly about kitty pride where i'm like dear god um <laughs> like um particularly like i think she's um there was like a one episode of the excalibur comic that i pulled an image from i don't know if you got to see it where like she's celebrating her birthday and um Courtney Ross. So Courtney Ross is the character, but she's technically not Courtney Ross in that moment, but Kitty Pride doesn't know it and it's Kitty Pride's birthday. Mm. And Kitty Pride's sitting there in a nighty and <laughs> Courtney Ross is got a cake and they're like talking about like Kitty's not sure what to do on on her birthday mm-hmm. and Courtney like puts a finger in her mouth during the conversation. Mm-hmm. Gets a little cake on it while they're talking and then puts it in and then or offers it to Kitty and then Kitty puts her finger in her mouth with the cake on it. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and and then they like, the panels are drawn super, it's super risque. But I mean, if you look for it, you can find it because it's, yeah. it's pretty prolific just as far as anyone who's 
uh, I found it in several articles, and it's a good reference point because it's like this was how this was written. So she didn't know it wasn't Courtney Ross, but it was mm-hmm. written that way. And even the people who drew that particular panel, like read it, like that's how they per- perceived it as like a little you know flirtation between the two of them. And then they like mm-hmm. proceed to like spend the day together and have a really nice time. <laughs> and it's like it's basically a date, but it's not a date because they don't call it a date. And yeah. it's technically not the person that Kitty thinks it is, so they can kind of play it off. Well, it was just because Courtney was technically not Courtney and yeah, all this stuff. But I'm like, yeah. but still, <laughs> I, but know, yeah. I know yeah. people, I've, I know people <laughs> from college who I wouldn't do that <laughs> with. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to, it's like, maybe, maybe if we had a couple drinks in us, but like they were yeah if i'm sober and my friends are like there's a big cake in front of me and they dip their finger in and offer it to me i'm not i'm i'm gonna get my own piece of cake i'm pretty, that's I'm pretty sure that's not how straight women friends no. behave and, with each other and <laughs> that's how i find a lot of uh these um uh a lot of the queer subtext that i see in the comic book uh, tv shows or movies or you know or even i mean in comics it's way more exaggerated like i mean there's so much more than just this one thing that i'm referencing <laughs> where it's just i i feel like it's a little bit more exaggerated in comics because it's like they need to do so much on paper and yeah. as opposed to tv and movies you know you have the actors so you have a lot more to happening you have their expressions their gestures you know all happening at once. Here's a question that comes up for me. Mm-hmm. When is it subtext or like semi queer baiting, and when is it the the golden rule of storytelling, which is show don't tell? Like when when is it being kind of being sheepish or avoiding calling it what it is, and when is it being good storytelling oh well when they actually showing stuff when, when they actually yeah. make it canon <laughs> that's the difference so so, so when it comes to fruition at some point basically yeah yeah, yeah. so i mean when something happens like that's the difference and i don't know if you want me to get into um my tv ships at the moment but uh i <laughs> try to keep it comic based <laughs> well well no they they are based okay. on comics but uh okay. i mean i didn't i don't want to bring it up yet but supercorp dear god uh but it's from supergirl it's basically lena luther and supergirl and or cara danvers but i i oh, be- okay yeah okay. but i believe that if they're perpetuating the fact that they they actually want us to believe that lena at this point doesn't know which i believe we're supposed to believe that she doesn't know that supergirl is kara so I believe that Lena is in love with both of them. Yeah, <laughs> but that's in different me. ways. But that's so. Me. So, how do you feel about her getting with James Olsen? Do you think that's that's covering up, or do you feel like that's um, expressing bisexuality? Well, I don't think that the showrunners believe that Lena's queer in that bot. And I'm like, you're. It's like it's a problem because it's like they again these grand gestures that she does for Kara. You know, mm-hmm. you know, the late night meetings that they have to, like, talk about their day in her office and the fact that she bought her a whole room of flowers that they flirtatiously talk. That scene gets me every time because I was like, in no universe it's- does that happen between two platonic friends. And it's so crazy because the, the stuff with James Olsen, like, I love the character that James Olsen has and him as Guardian. 
and all of that, but the relationship between him and Lena just feels really forced to me. Yeah, they it's don't also, know what to do with James. That's has a lot of why. conflict of interest with their, you know, her owning the business and him running. Yeah, it. like they yeah. wanted to basically make him his. I like what they're doing this season. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, I yeah. feel like if Lena and James were just friends, it would make more sense. But, uh, but then is wh- that by erasure? I mean, it's by erasure if they actually made either of them gay, mm-hmm. but or they haven't. They, yeah, and the, both of them actually have queer ships around them. Whereas, um, I I did mention it on here because I do want to because I believe that all ships matter. <laughs> um, I think <laughs> I don't want to. I don't mm-hmm. think that we should be fighting over ships. I think mm-hmm. people are allowed to pair off whoever they want. That's why. If we didn't care about TV, then why watch it? But a lot of people wanted Jimmy Olsen and Wynn to hook up, which actually made sense to me a little bit. And not just because they I wanted... They were pretty cute together. They were adorable, yeah. like, being... Si- <laughs> like, Wynn making, like, all of Jimmy Olsen's, like, gear for Guardian. And they're, they just had a great dynamic. So I was, like, I was a little... I was a little sad when Wynn left. I think seeing them have a breakdown over this whole Guardian thing that's going on in Supergirl right now, where Guardian's kind of being put at odds, because he's a human. He's not Supergirl. Mm -hmm. He's not an alien. So maybe a part of him does see what the anti-alien people are talking about, and that's kind of what they were playing with this season. Yeah, I think Supergirl's just an amazing fucking show. Yeah, they're doing a good job with it. They're still, like, h- hanging us on on any of the, like, LGBT, uh, well, uh, on any of the relationships, per se. Like, and they just, they had a great trans character that's on the show this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've, they've got a lot of good representation. Some of the stories I'm a little frustrated with, but maybe that's just normal fandom. <laughs> I mean, it's normal fandom to be. Yeah. If you're not frustrated, you're not a fan. That's my motto. <laughs> All right. Um, Good to know. Good to know. I feel less alone. (laughs) With Wynn, like, imagine, I think it would have been far more dramatic if Wynn had to deal with what James is doing this season. Like, Mm -hmm. I think... But they just got rid of him, basically. Yeah, and I think he would... Spoiler, sorry. I think he'd be (laughs) devastated. And I think that would, to me, would be more dramatic than jimmy having a new girlfriend who's no matter who it is that's not how they went and uh that's fine they're allowed to do that but it does feel forced like as soon as they got together it reminded me of freaking rizzoli and isles where rizzoli and isles had their chemistry was on fire and they got god (laughs) untold amounts of beards over the years (laughs) and there was no chemistry and i'm like i'm not saying like Katie McGraw and McCod Brooks. I don't I'm not saying that they're not attractive, but it's just for some reason I just I don't like I just I you don't buy it. I I try to give every couple the benefit of the doubt. Like yeah. I'm like I'm not willing I'm not against them being together because I'm gay and I want her and you know, Kari to get together. I honestly am starting to think that I want Lena Luther and Alex Danvers to be together. Hmm. Because I'm like they're the two closest people uh, to Supergirl. I, I, it's interesting. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm for that shit, but it's okay. an interesting one to consider. What I do want to go over really quickly is just like this plethora of characters who have been written with a lot of subtext, and many of them who have then been confirmed as 
queer identified in later stories or in just like mentionings by writers or creators that are involved. You know, that's everybody from Wonder Woman to Rawhide Kid. Right now, the uh, the museum has an exhibit of Rawhide Kid slap leather. Awesome. Um, that's great. Which, yeah, we actually own the entire what are the original story. Of- so that's happening only this month? No, that's happening kind of, it's ongoing probably at least through April. So Dang. And yeah. it's, uh, what, it's December now, so December through April. Yeah. Wow, um, that's awesome. So it's a, okay. it's alongside another sort of Western American show that we have of this amazing artist named Joe Mora, which is not really queer related in any way as far as I know. I mean, he was a cowboy in the Wild West for a long time with not a lot of women around. So I, I don't know. I'm not saying anything. I don't have any evidence, but you get lonely. The, the Rawhide Kid stuff is there kind of building on that theme, but also talking about the both the significance and sort of some of the the failures that happened with that story because everything in that was also still written in subtext, even though it was written in the early 2000s. So because it was after, you know, we'd mostly bucked the comic code authority, people were like, just, you know, if you're going to make a gay man in a comic, make him a gay man instead of making him dress really nicely and you know being mm-hmm. half naked half the time or <laughs> Do, does rawhide kid have a male love interest in the car i'm not sure if he currently does in the slap leather story he does not have a romantic relationship so it's, it's just all innuendo. innuendo it's all subtext so if you really want to look at subtext that's an intense story to to read and kind of see what subtext looks like oh and how it can you know subtext with kitty pride and with maggie sawyer and in many well, other stories can be satisfying feel, but yeah. rawhide kid was very unsatisfying subtext but part of that is because of the time when it was released where the need for subtext felt like it wasn't there anymore Okay. Yeah, because I'm like, there's so many. If you want like a comic that's like explicitly queer or gay, like you can find. Yeah, it. yeah. Um, I mean, this is so, this is pre yeah. Iceman. This is you know pre a lot of coming out, but it's um, mm-hmm. it was before Batwoman came on the scene as her reimagined lesbian identity instead of being Batman's beard. You know, this was this was you know. I feel like her biography yeah. would be that if she wrote it. Yeah, would be would be what Batman's beard. Batman's beard. Uh, <laughs> like, why does she have to define herself by the men in her life? Right. But yeah, so there's there's all these sort of stereotypes that came out of subtext to as be like a shorthand. Mm-hmm. The strong sort of like masculine women, weak feminine men, or men who were overly strong or overly obsessed with their own bodies. You know, being bi or pansexual was often see like characters that were uncommitted or wishy-washy and i'm not saying in any way that any of those are correct they can't like i myself represent as a dyke woman and so i kind of fall into that strong masculine woman category in my real life that's represented often in narratives but then it often my wife gets frustrated by you know it then makes us turn all strong women into or like hard-headed women into queer women which you know even non-queer women need strong female characters that they can identify with and so you know we kind of need to push away from a lot of these stereotypes that were created 
yeah. from some. Do you text. mean like being a? Oh, okay. Like like the strong like feminist, or is that what you're talking about? Like yeah, yeah. And it also comes from society being like, well, if you're a feminist, then you're a lesbo, and so yeah. I have to listen to you. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's yeah. That's yeah. unfortunately is something I get thrown out there. Um, yeah. I also just want to make a correction. Uh, so it's the article that I referenced earlier by uh, Sigrid Ellis from um. Uh, mm-hmm. Chicks Dig Comics anthology. It's called Kitty Queer. Um, oh, okay. So it's, but it's a good read. Well, let yeah. me run through this list really quickly and keep mm-hmm. going because I did want to stop and talk about Rawhide Kid for a little. So I'm glad we okay. did that. Yeah. So we've got, and I wrote it down like this: X Men, like whoa. You know, mm-hmm. I identified with Marrow uh, a lot. If you're not familiar with her character, she's really awesome. Go Google it. We already talked about Kitty Pride and Colossus. Can you just go um, over what Marrow's abilities are, just because I'm not familiar um, with her? She can grow the bone in her body into weapons. Holy shit! That she can pull out of her skin. Why? And she... <laughs> Doesn't that hurt like shit? She oh she was on God. the darker side. She wasn't with the X Men proper. She was with one of the the offshoot groups. I'm forgetting which one off the top of my head. But I was obsessed with her as a kid, and she had That's... short hair. It sounds and, cool. Yeah, uh... it was like the the dyke stereotype. And at that time, I idolized that, and I wanted to like that and become like mm-hmm. that. So. Um, mm-hmm. That was that was it for me. Rogue, we talked about before the show in terms of her inability to touch people she loved without hurting them mm-hmm. being aligned a lot with the queer experience. Kind of going off of just like American comics, Utena Revolutionary Girl mm-hmm. was a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Bugs Bunny was a I... huge queer icon for me. What? And how I... he owned cross-dressing. Um, like I feel like Bugs Bunny would identify as a gender neutral character today. I didn't even think about the. Okay. I loved how much Bugs Bunny felt comfortable in clothing that didn't match his gender. I didn't um, even that never even as occurred it was to represented me. Represented to us, okay. Um, and you know, maybe that gave me confidence to wear non-gender aligned clothing myself. I'm not sure, but I idolized Bugs Bunny a lot. Recently, there's been stories about Venom. There was a story in Defenders with Valkyrie that was very unsatisfying and very much queer baiting. Oh, um, really? Dumbledore's. I'm gonna have to look that one up. Yeah, it's yeah. it only it only is like three panels of stuff that's enjoyable, and the rest is like what the. Of course. <laughs> Oh, and hence uh, why I hate it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dumbledore is currently under a queer baiting kind of scenario. Yep. Um, there's a lot of talk about Lando Calrissian. I remember when the, the other mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars movies came out that uh, Poe Dameron and Finn were uh, Poe, mm-hmm. the actor who plays Poe Dameron was saying he was playing that character yeah. at being interested in Finn. Yeah. We haven't seen any realization of that, but... Um, I love when actors do that. I like that, that idea. I love uh, it yeah. when actors get behind... Because, I mean, sometimes it forces the hand of the creators, and even if it doesn't, I think the queer fandom having that support, even though the ship... Even if it doesn't become canon, I think mm-hmm. that's important, because having the support of the actors gives them something you know to at least hold on to a little bit yeah so that yeah. people can't just say oh well that's never gonna happen it's like well i've got the actual person here let me put them on the phone <laughs> 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 you know yeah yeah that's what they're saying <laughs> 
You've mm. got Pidge from Voltron. Mm. I, I'm really interested in the dynamic that they have between Pidge having been a male character in the original Voltron mm-hmm. and then Pidge being a female character in the current one, which I felt like I identified with the character either way. Like, it didn't matter to me what gender they identified with. Is that? They as a person. Is that the character that uh, Bex Taylor Cross is playing? Perhaps. It's a, it's the green Voltron character. Um the short the short little techie one so you know we we didn't even get to touch on batman's harley and ivy maybe we'll have to do like a well whole we can show we can them. we can just i mean i think i think harley and ivy definitely deserve more of our time so yeah. but i think it is important to just re- touch on the fact that their subtext has always like well not i don't want to say always but has been embraced by the fandom for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you're familiar, this is something that I didn't want to touch on beforehand, but upon kind of rebriefing myself for this, a recent comic that was out where um, it w- it's called Heroes in Crisis, the mm-hmm. short... Have you heard of this series? Yeah, yeah. Um, where Laura apparently they... read it in uh, prep for a show that they did on it on yeah. the GT radio. Yeah, because it's they're trying to deal with mental health and mass mm. shootings, and they apparently killed Poison Ivy. Mm. That's alluded to. They don't show her body. They show a bunch of other bodies, but basically they have this whole sequence where Harley Quinn is saying goodbye to her, like, out, you know, like, having her own little private moment, and I'm like, why? <laughs> I'm like, really, guys? Uh, that whole thing, I, uh, I'll have to listen to... That episode, the, the, that episode, because I was I didn't read that particular thing. I've read a lot of reviews of it. It seems like a really heavy mm. one. In yeah. light of like all the hype that they're now building for Harley Quinn's Birds of Prey movie, you know, and everything, or the new Harley Quinn movie itself, it seemed odd to me that like that would happen. But I mean, it's something that happens all the time. Well, DC characters. also doesn't connect their comic book and yeah, movie universe the same way that Marvel does. I know, but um, it's like I know that this this is like happening around like when Harley Quinn, the new run of Harley Quinn's like up to like issue like fifty four, fifty five. You know, so there have mm-hmm. been people who've been following this for a long time really enjoying like the fact that they actually had a can't you know a main text kiss in this in in, like issue i think 25 Mm. of harley quinn i think it happened where it's like harley quinn's birthday and then poison ivy just grabs her and kisses her so it was like a big deal and then this happens and i'm like what i what i what i love about so kind of going back to the the origin sorry you just got you got me going yeah (laughs) Uh, the origin no 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 the origin of um harleen ivy's kind of canon relationship in the in the comic batman's harley Mm -hmm. and ivy you know which involved paul dini and bruce tim who were the leads on the animated series show and what i what i loved about their relationship is that they were not i can't remember if they explicitly say it their relationship wasn't explicit, like it was all ages friendly, mm-hmm. but it was also so obvious how much they cared for each other. Yeah. And that just makes that story like really enjoyable for me and their relationship in general, really enjoyable like, for I've me, whether s- or not Harley's a good guy or a bad guy in the context of yeah. being with Ivy. And I've never seen a panel between them that I haven't loved. Like, I'm like, you guys, this is adorable. They're so um, good. Because Poison Ivy's such like a, like a, doesn't I I, I want to say she's kind of like someone in a comic comedy duo who never breaks and Harley Quinn's like the person who's always trying to make her break. So you you're know? saying that that Ivy is straight? Not 
No, not <laughs> no, I mean straight. like the, the straight guy in, in the comedy. Like you've got the goofy person and the yeah. person who's, who's yeah. straight who doesn't I mean, break. I mean, I know they call it, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm just yeah. playing around. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm no. giving you a hard time. I know, I know. I wasn't, I, I'm familiar with those terms, but I was trying not mm-hmm. to like really put it that way. But it's it's basically like, and I love it because like they have in the panels that I saw from the comic that were in the reviews, like it was, they have like a really nice moment together. And it's like when Poison Ivy's trying to do her confessional and Harley Quinn comes in and is like booping her on the face with her fingers. And I was like, that's adorable. Why would you kill that? Oh, like that's what kind of that's that's the kind of stuff I hate because no one can Um, be happy. Boo. So then, you know, we've got continuing that list. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got Power Rangers where, you know, I really liked the Yellow Ranger and the Blue Ranger and the Yellow Ranger in the original series is actually played by a man. So when they imported it to the U.S., and they played on racial stereotypes with it and mm-hmm. made it a woman. I was like, it's a woman with pants! Um, obviously queer. Um, right. And then the Blue <laughs> the Blue Ranger is played by a gay man. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, kind of, because they don't deal with a lot of relationships in the in the show outside of the Red Ranger and the Pink Ranger. Or the Green and, Ranger and the yeah. Pink Ranger. Yeah, the Pink Ranger and... Or the White the, Ranger yeah. and the Pink Ranger. Yeah. Well, both the, the green same and person. the white ranger, yeah, the same person. I, 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 I'm familiar. I, I had the pogs. Mm-hmm. I had the sticker books. I had the action <laughs> figures. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there, the, there's that kind of stuff. And then I did want to touch on today with subtext, one of the most queer-friendly heralded shows is Steven Universe. Mm-hmm. And until the most Anim- recent... Animated. Uh, yes, yeah. and, and yeah. until the most recent season, it has all been subtext. Mm-hmm. And you know the the idea of fusion representing relationships that all of the gems identify as uh, with women pronouns or female pronouns from sort of knowing more about the industry and that show. It's very popular in a lot of countries where they do still have these comics code authority esque laws, um, not just rules imposed by the companies themselves, but laws in those countries where you cannot depict queer relationships. And so when they had the wedding in the most recent season, I don't know if that has affected or will affect how they err in other in those countries oh yeah um, that's a good I, point i haven't even yeah seen if they included that because it, it would have already aired by now yeah so i'm i'm not sure whether or not that portion or that episode aired in the those countries no that... they'll just do what they did with sailor moon and make them cousins yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh you got me hey cuz yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about. So there's subtitles. So we've also got Sailor Moon. So is there? Are there any other quick ones that you wanted to mention uh, to wrap up before um, we play our game? I wanted as far as well. I want to give a shout out. I guess to three things. So one. Well, actually. Oh God. You got me going. Valkyrie. I. Uh, I think Tessa Thompson stepping up and mm-hmm. saying that. Valkyrie's bisexual. Yeah, it wasn't in the movie, but I think that's still important. And hopefully we get something... And backed by the comics, even though they um, don't I really know. show it. They, they say it, at yeah. least, even if they and, don't show um, it. Black Panther, I do have to say that if they do not 
explore the sexuality of uh kind of ao or I, I can't pronounce her name i'm like uh, i know she was in the movie is like i can't yeah they they only included one of the two one of the two queer characters mm-hmm. that are from that are in the from uh world, world of wakanda mm-hmm. if they don't address it in the second film or come close to addressing it i that i'm gonna have a problem and i and, think a lot and of other people will Gay too. is the writer is she the writer she wasn't on that even invited to the pre- I, I don't think they even invited her to the premiere Whatever. Which I remember her saying something on Twitter, <laughs> which I thought was odd. I'm like, she had a huge impact on the current mm-hmm. run of the comic. It's and always then, interesting to see who they thank in the credits at the end of the movie from the comic creators oh, I didn't that have even, worked on them. I didn't even... I, I should look into that see what yeah. they did. But the fact that there was that whole leak with like the the review reviewer saying, oh, there's this nice little moment between her and... Yeah, um, you know, another character where she's like, "Oh, I know, I look good," you know, or someone's like, "You look good," and she's like, "I know," and that's mm-hmm. what I remember reading. And then there was this whole press thing where they're like, "Oh no, that's not happening," and then they just cut that. That scene wasn't in the movie. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, so. because it God wasn't damn. there. Um, damn. Yeah, so that is why did they say something? <laughs> right, I was like, keep it to yourself next time. Yeah, that kind of stuff bugs the shit out of me because it's sad that we have to say stuff like i wish they didn't say something so that they could have left it as subtext yeah and then um i mean it gets cut exactly and then that's what makes me thankful for i want to for a movie i'll i'll be say a movie and a tv show deadpool 2 because negasonic teenage warhead the reason she has a girlfriend in the second one is because ryan reynolds Yes, and also the Deadpool is, is pansexual. There you go. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he is in love with Colossus. Him. All of that stuff they did between them was amazing. Like it's so good. Even if it's like never like fully explored in the movies, I love that they're playing it up. It's so good. I mean, and the actress who plays Negasonic Teenage Warhead is queer herself. So I was like, that's good. But I want to give a huge th- shout out to Legends of Tomorrow because this season is freaking amazing and they're fully embracing sarah lance being queer with ava and it's so good and they're actually there was a build-up of subtext in the beginning with john constantine i don't want to spoil too much he he alludes to having relationship or uh uh some kind of sexual encounter with a character that i didn't expect and it's kind of like a really funny aside that happens and it's great Mm. um it's worth watching the season just to see that exchange but (laughs) He has a great subplot this season that touches on his bisexuality, and it may play into some barrier gay tropes because you know it's Constantine, and you mm-hmm. know not a lot of good happens with him. But they it, really you know, they address his bisexuality in this current season, and I think people who are in comics right now, writing comics, making movies about comics, making TV shows about comics on other networks, or the CW itself could learn a lot from what they're doing on Legends. Even though it seems like a campy out there show, like Constantine and Sarah Lance are two very good examples of how to actually do queerness in a TV show. But then also, I am also forgetting Black Lightning, and I should not be forgetting. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. I know we've got that slated. Sorry, I think show. I just am focusing on <laughs> Legends of Tomorrow because it's really important to have a bisexual male character. Yeah, no, screen. absolutely. Especially and Constantine. I, I think one of the things about mm-hmm. subtext is in order to break away in an industry where you're constantly 
afraid of the the cost of something not working, whether that's television, movies, or comics, which all claim the same fear of losing money over taking risk, Mm -hmm. that when you get to be a show that's maybe a little bit off the beaten path, like Legends of Tomorrow is not nearly as popular, I think, as Supergirl. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, I don't think... I think people are going to... Because they're off the beaten path, you can kind of take that risk. Oh, Elseworlds is going to change that because they're running all the promos and it's getting crazy. But uh, (laughs) also, more people need to be watching Black Lightning because Nefessa Williams has been killing it. That show's Um, so good. It's so good. But, uh, like... (sighs) She's so good. And I want I I'm I'm actually kind of pissed that they don't include them. I don't I don't know if they're in the crossovers, and it kind of bugs me. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> well, we'll we'll see, yeah. we'll see. We'll get to talk about that later. I'm yeah, sure, we will at some point. Oh um, yes, yes. We'll we'll give you your. There's time. Uh, plenty. Oh man, <laughs> there's not enough time. Never world. enough, which is why we just have to keep doing the show forever and ever and always. Oh god. Um. So to wrap up really quickly, uh, we're gonna play a game. And um, there's, so there's, you know, fuck, marry, kill. Uh, So uh, think about your favorite subtext characters in one way or another. Um, One to fuck, one to marry, and one to kill off because you wish they were never a subtext character. Oh, that's why? Okay. Oh, God. Do you want to, so are you picking them for me or am I picking them for you? Um. Well, if I if I had to choose my own, but uh, I don't I, think that's <laughs> how you're supposed to play it. <laughs> Is this that? All right. Well, okay. So let me give you. All right. I'll give you three. Okay. Um. Oh god. Let me give you. Oh god. Oh god. Uh, I'm not ready. <laughs> I love how this <laughs> g- hypothetical game stresses me the hell out. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, crap. I'm trying to think of ones that are actually kind of not openly queer, but are like they can be queer too. That's just easier yeah. to okay. make them queer too. <laughs> um. So let's let's give you an easy one. I'll give you a softball one. We'll mm. give you Kitty Pride, mm. Utena, mm. and. Valkyrie. Um. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um. I guess uh, I would fuck uh, Utena, and I would marry. Interesting. I would marry Valkyrie, and mm-hmm. I would kill Kitty Pride only because I wish she was never subtextual. If I I don't actually want to kill her. I want to kill. I want to kill her. She's just always been out. I want to kill her subjects. I wish. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So who who do I get? <laughs> oh my god. Um. Okay, you get Wonder Woman. Uh, Rogue. Can I include Rogue? Yeah. Okay. That's that's fairly big subtext. Okay. Maggie Sawyer. Uh, fuck Wonder Woman, marry Maggie Sawyer, and kill Rogue because because she needs to get away from goddamn Gambit. Okay. Uh, uh, but what if they make what if they make Gambit a woman, and it's not 
it's not Channing Tatum. What if it was... Um... I actually like Channing Tatum. No, I like but... Channing Tatum, too. I'm just like, <laughs> I had this really interesting idea in my mind. I'm like, totally... Hold on. I'm like, wait. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, Kate McKinnon. What if Kate oh. McKinnon was Gambit? Uh, sorry, I can't. I just it popped I don't know into if my that head. Would be super attractive or super creepy, right? <laughs> it would. It would basically she do it either way. It would basically just be her Holtzman from Ghostbusters, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> with, pretty much, with just with a Cajun accent. Yeah, which would be um, amazing. Which I yeah. think Holtzman would do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we'll kind of put this out there for the forums as well. We'll do a, a fuck, marry, kill slash queer. So like, basically, who would you who would you officially queer? Who would you fuck and who would you marry? Um, and just to and be we'll ha- c- let you clear, the killing that we're talking about is about killing characters, um, not because we yeah. hate kill, them. Killing, but we killing the kill, closet door. Yeah, breaking them, killing their subtextual barriers. And also, I just, I, I want to touch on it. Since you mentioned Steven Universe and we talked about it, make sure to check out the podcast, uh, Here Comes a Thought. Yeah, for sure. Because it's about all about Steven Universe. So I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want to see more that I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram and see uh, adorable photos of my cats that my wife and I have. Or you can find me on Twitter at Nina Kester. And what about you, Jessica? I use the same handle for almost everything. So Deburninator22. That's your your strong bad reference. That is my strong bad reference. So if you don't know what that is, just Google Trogdor and I'm pretty sure you'll figure it out. If you're interested in finding out more about subtext and comics, we're going to pull the rabbit hole of links that we went down in researching for this show uh, in with the show notes so that you can go down that rabbit hole yourself. And we'd love to hear what you have to say and find us on the forums will be a forum for this show, I believe. I think we're going to be having a topic for Do we get to title them? Um, Probably. Maybe we call this one All the Rabbit Holes You'll Go Down. (laughs) Uh, uh, Some text in the title. Oh, man. Uh, We look forward to having you listen to our next show and keeping this going and Doing the queer thing. Like, do the queer thing. Do the queer thing. Queer thing. Um, <laughs> thing. Yeah, no, thing. No, yeah, that's getting good. Queer Comics Podcast is a part of the Geek Therapy Network. It is mixed and edited by me, Jessica Vasquez, and co-produced by Josue Cardona. Today's podcast also features original music by Tyler Francis, so if you like what you hear, make sure to check out his Bandcamp page, linked in the description, or follow him on Instagram at TylerIRL underscore. Make sure to subscribe to Queer Comics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out more shows in the Geek Therapy Network at network.geektherapy.com.